I can't see. <laughs>welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. We are in the uh, season of Lent, and uh, we're going through our verse-by-verse study of the New Testament. We are in 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church that he's writing from Ephesus, where he's waiting to get a boat eventually to go to Rome. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Before we do that, by the way, welcome to our guys over in Stevens Point, Appleton, as well as those who watch us online, some of the home groups that uh, meet as well. Let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that you would give us insights and understanding, led by your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher in truth, and you promised that the Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us into truth. We pray that your Spirit would make these things come alive to us, strengthening our faith for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All righty then. So, we left off in chapter 3, verse 16. The context here is, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. And uh, he's dealing with some of the problems that they're having. And there are many problems. As I pointed out, it's actually very encouraging, because I don't think we're as screwed up as these people are. But uh, they're really a mess, and he's going through, and he deals with various issues, sometimes very, very clearly, Sometimes in ways that give me a headache because I don't follow his line of thinking and I've looked at it a million different ways over these last 40 plus years and I still don't quite get where he's coming from. We'll get to it all as we go along. Uh, his, he's in the middle of making his argument against these Christians fighting over who they think they're getting their information from. You know, some say, well, I'm... I follow Cephas, you know, Peter is his name, his fancy name. Uh, I follow Apollos, you know, so I follow Paul. The real spiritual people say, well, I, I just follow Jesus, you know. And, and what they're doing is they're all fighting with each other, and they're going off on each other and uh, causing all kinds of problems. So um, they're, they're, they're going at each other's throat. Now, as, as you read theologians on this and uh, some of the highly educated pinheads, they uh, argue that, you know, that that was the culture in Corinth, that people, t- it was very much a who you know type of culture, and it was very normal for them to follow people that, that they, who they know. I think they're overthinking it, as they tend to in most cases. Uh, the reality is, all churches deal with this. People tend to get into fights about the dumbest things on earth, and they f- go off in groups and stuff. And one of the things that uh, I'm so thrilled about our church is we have very little to any of that. We had lots of it when I first got here, <coughs> and we beat through all of that and don't have much of it anymore. Thanks be to God. It's not about little groups. We're supposed to be working together as a church. So anyway, this tends to be very divisive and destructive. But as Paul is given to do, and it's not just Paul, all preachers, I must confess, <laughs> are giving to, given to getting off track not that I've ever done it, but, uh, but that's when he talks and he's on an issue and he kind of gets off and then he comes back to the issue and he kind of gets off on something else. And Anyway, the context here is he's still dealing with, hey, stop all the fighting. All right? So we pick it up in verse 16, chapter 3. He says, don't you know that you yourselves, speaking of the church, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He actually takes us to another step in a little bit, talking about how Each person's own body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we'll get to that. But the context here is, why are you messing with the church? You're hurting the church. You're part of God's temple in the church. And uh, he says, anyone who destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Ouch. This is a very strong warning here. Stop it. You can't just go around destroying what the kingdom of God is building up here because you're into your little cliques and stuff. Um, For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 
Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become fools so that he may be wise. So uh, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. He's quoting from the Old Testament, all right? Uh, which by and large, many of them, the Jews would know what he's talking about, but the church is still kind of connecting to that Jewish history. Uh, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, again, the fancy word for Peter, which obviously, I mean, I looked into a little bit, apparently there's some history that Peter did come through that area, and that's how they were familiar with him, enough that they some uh, lobbed onto him. So it's all yours. Uh, whether, uh, or the world, of, or the life, and the death, the present, the future, whatever, all are yours. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. God has all these blessings uh, for you. All right, so again, a warning in not getting caught up in, uh, in some of these guys. Which we, we still have, again, even in Christianity today, people still try to glob onto some people who they think are really ultra-spiritual, and it's usually people who are very far away that you don't know them and they don't know you. All right? And uh, uh, I'm not against people listening to other preachers on radio and televisions and Bible studies, but I just, my advice, keep it in context. Don't get all crazy on it, you know? And they're good people, you know, the people who do the Beth Moore Bible studies, the people who, you know, read, you know, Rick Warren, the people who listen to, yeah, I don't know, throw a name out, all these different preachers and stuff like that. People tend to just glob onto these people. And, and my, I have two approaches to that. One is, really, you got that much free time? I, I'll tell you honestly, I never listen to them. I've never listened, I don't think, to any of them. I've never. If I saw Beth Moore, I'd probably recognize her because she's cute. You see pictures of her, you know. But I'm a man, what am I gonna say? So I say, hey, it was Beth Moore. But, but beyond that, I don't even know who these guys are. I've, I listened to a little speech once of Rick Warren. All I remember, I read one of his books and I thought it was rather brilliant, but listening to him as speaker, I wanted to take my own life. This guy's so boring, oh my gosh, who, who listens to these people? Uh, I think I listened to one sermon once by Joel Osteen. Uh, I never listened to, uh, who are some of the speakers? I don't. Joyce Myers, I met Joyce. I, uh, she used to come to our church in Marshfield before she became a rock star. You know, so we, we met her a few times. She liked my music, beautiful lady. But uh, 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 beyond that, I, I don't, you know, I, clips and stuff, T.D. Jakes, I've listened to clips. I don't know that I've ever heard a whole sermon of his. I, I'm not saying that as some kind of benefit to me. I'm just thinking, who the heck has time for this? You know, I'm trying to minister to people, you know, Love my kids, spend time with my grandkids, get along with my wife, and not end up in jail. I mean, that's kind of my day every day. And I'm thinking, who has the time for all this? I, I know some people do. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, you want to know where I get my stuff? I get it from, I just study the scriptures. And, and, and uh, you know, and I'll read this, that, and the other. I get insights from different people and stuff. But I, I just don't, there are people who are like this. They lob onto a speaker, this really great speaker. And again, I'm, what was that? <laughs> they do run all over the place, yeah. Uh, but again, they tend to run after people that are very far away. And my, my concern is, and I'm sure they're great people. I assume, I mean, I heard someone today say, you know, so-and-so was preaching heresy. And they look for me, to, for my advice. I, I don't know. I don't listen to them. I don't have the time. And if I did have the time, frankly, I'd rather watch TV. You know, so I, I, I don't, you know, I want to relax. I don't, I do this all day long. Who has the energy for this stuff? I'm not condemning those who do, but get a clue. Don't get all crazy locked into different speakers and stuff, you know. You, you, quite frankly, my personal opinion, I don't have problems with people occasionally wanting to do, you know, the Beth Moore, so women are all crazy about Beth Moore or whatever, or who's the other chick, the older lady? K. Arthur, K. Arthur you know. Her, I wouldn't know if I saw her. So uh, anyway, I have no idea. So people, they, I don't have a problem with on occasion, but I have a problem with people kind of constantly want to do those things over and over and over and over year year, and they never, they're constantly doing these studies. I go, hey, hey, why don't you, there's no teachers amongst yourselves? You know, none of you ladies can teach other ladies? You ladies can't lead your own, well, we got these great DVDs. 
Well, what do you think and do? How about one of you step up? One of the gifts to the body of Christ are teachers. And that's in each church. You know, so, well, those are the great teachers. I, I, I have a problem. I'm not into the papal type of mentality. You know, that there's some great master speaker that has say over everybody that has in Christianity. Personally, I don't think it's that healthy. Because if one of them do go psycho crazy, a whole bunch of people will get sucked in with them. Right? So I don't know. I, you know, I'm not against. I'm really not. Well, he doesn't like us. We can't do best of more studies. I didn't say that. Okay? You can do it from time to time. And how about when you teach a goofy class? Well, I don't know how to teach. Well, pray about it. Here's a concept. Open the Bible. Read it. Study. Get some books. Maybe one written by K. Arthur. I don't care. But anyway, then you teach it to the other lab. At some point, we need some gifts in the church to start rising up. And everybody shouldn't just be locking on, in my personal opinion, on whoever, you know. And again, if you hear some heretical thing you think and you come to me, I'm not going to give you an answer. I don't know. Everybody's got their grief about Joe Osteen or whatever, I, I don't know. He seems like an affable fellow to me. He just smiles every time I see him on TV for, you know, for two minutes and I click the channel. You know, I'm looking for Gilligan's Island or something. I, I just, you know. <laughs> Am I making any sense to anybody? You know, don't, don't get so caught, because they don't know you. They're not responsible for your soul. They don't minister to you. They're not your pastor. They're not people in the church that are there to pray for you and help you through life and doing life together. How about you connect more with people like that? And less of the superstar Christian. I'm just not into superstar Christian. So, well, Pastor, you're kind of a superstar in the marriage thing. Yeah, and even that, you know, I mean, I don't try to come up with endless material for people to listen to every word I have to say about relationships. You know, I got my weekly show that I do, but it's, you know. Hi. Um, so, you know, anyway, you know. People go through my material and say, what's else? What else he got? I said, I don't know, it's pretty much it, you know? And they're waiting for, you know, three or four different versions of it. I don't know. People say, well, I've gone to your laughing way. Well, what do we do for our marriage next? I don't know. Change diapers, take out the garbage, and not scream at each other so much. I mean, I don't know what makes it so complicated to people. So even I don't want to be that kind of a rock star who's giving everybody advice constantly, day and night, on, on their lives. Anyway. Talk about getting off track. What did I just say? So Paul does this, I do it as well. I'm worse than he is. All right, so then, after saying all this, don't keep glopping on these guys, well, I'm from this and that, you know, everybody's in their little cliques of who they listen to or who they don't listen to, or quite frankly, let me, I'm not done yet. <laughs> don't go all psycho-crazy on trying to reveal some, some apostate speaker. A lot of the energy that I hear is a whole bunch of people, they want to stop, what's going on at, what's that church on in Chicago that... Willow Creek. Have you ever listened to I suppose you have. You have more free time than I have. You ever listen to those guys? I've, I've never listened to them. You listen to them? What was the guy's name? Bill Heipel. I wouldn't know him in a million years. You met him once? Okay. Randy, he knows everybody. But I, I never met I, I don't, I, you know, do you want to listen? I don't even want to listen. I don't know why. He's in Chicago. He's probably a Bears fan. Who'd want to listen to that? So, you know. But so I don't have a problem with that, but what I have a problem with, you know, you know Bill Fibles is doing such, we need to stop it. And I'm thinking, really? How about you quit listening to these people? You know, Joel Osteen said, President Shaggy, like, uh, we gotta do something. Really? I'm not gonna do anything. Shut up. Don't listen to these people. Why are you listening to them? Come on my lawn. You got so much free time? Come on my lawn. That's why they'll never let me on TBN, man, because I don't buy all that stuff. All right, so, okay. So after all this rambling, you know, ration rambling, <laughs> his argument about don't lock on, then he kind of goes into a self-defense mode because at some level he's a little ticked because he is the one, it wasn't that long ago, who he comes and he brings them the gospel uh, on his first missionary journey. He comes back, I don't know what this time frame was, but it wasn't terribly long. He comes on his third missionary journey and he's hearing about everybody fighting over who's the better speaker and he's thinking, hey, what are my Swiss cheese? You know what, don't I have more sway than these guys? So now we're going to read this. He's going to go a little bit into his own deal. He says, this then is how you should ought to regard us. Talking about himself and maybe some of the apostles, I don't know. But as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. 
uh, talking about, you know, if you're a trustee for, a, you, know, a, you know, a certain amount of money or something like that, you've got responsibilities with that. We've been giving something, he's saying, which is the preaching of the gospel, so we have to be faithful with it. I carry very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It just is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, God will reveal, receive their praise. Each will receive their praise from God. So he's saying, Look, I don't care what you think of me. Blah, 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 blah. Well, if he really believed that 100%, he wouldn't be going to all this because <laughs> it's ticking him off a bit. All right? Now, here's what's really odd. He just says, I don't care if you judge me. I don't even judge myself. You shouldn't be judging. God's going to fix it all in the end. Then, on this side of the book, just the next page over, he rails on them for not judging. I don't know. I said this thing gives me a headache. The only thing I fear, I looked into it, there's like six different words for judging in Greek. But all of them are translated pretty much the same word in English. And I, you know, for example, there's, we got one word in English for love. Love. But what, in Greek, what do we got? How many? Three. Three? There's only three? There's agape love, which is God's love. There's phileo love, which is brotherly love. There's eros, which is hochi mama, baby. Okay, that kind of love. Well, we only have one word for it. Well, they have different words. Well, they got like six different words for Greece, for, for judge. The only thing I can think is uh, they're using different words at times. It must have different nano meanings to them because on one hand, they say, don't judge, but then you're supposed to judge. Jesus says, don't judge people, but then Paul writes, how come you're not judging? And again, uh, and even in English, all six words are pretty much translated the same, but it can't all be the same. It's got to be have... Uh, many uh, meanings to it. Uh, you, you can't escape the fact that this was not written in English. At times, there's difficult phrases in the Bible. Uh, and you just got to do the very best you can, sometimes reading multiple different translations, which is easy to do now online. You know, before you have to buy, you know, a gazillion big fat versions of the Bible. Now in, in three seconds, I can, every three seconds, I can pull up a different version to see the same verse. Even in Spanish, the same thing. All these, and and kind of that's kind of, when you get to, some, to, to read the different versions, kind of gives you a little better look into it. Uh, but uh, there's a challenge. Anybody who speaks more than one language, and I, you know, I, I speak just enough Spanish to get me in trouble. But uh, anybody, but in any language, they know that things don't always translate into the next language. And sometimes even if you take a literal translation, it doesn't make sense. For example, if as I, I say, you know, te quiero mucho, okay? What does that mean? I love you, okay? That's what it But literally, it means I want you. Yo quiero, yo quiero Taco Bell, right? I want Taco Bell. Yo quiero te, yo quiero, I, you I want. And you say that to little kids and the friends, hey, yo quiero mucho, you know. And you would translate that, I love you, but if you take it from a literal, it means I want you, which in English would be creepy if two guys say, hey man, I really want you. Oh my gosh, I mean, I, you know. Uh, it's, immediately, that has a sexual connotation in English, right? But in Spanish, that's how you say in a friendly way, I love you, if you you got in the Eros version, they have different words for that too. So in English, we pretty much just have one word uh, for these things. So again, you speak Yugoslavian. By the time you translate some phrases, it never quite. And even at different times, in the same language, words will change meaning, right? You know, in 1954, cool meant a low temperature, <laughs> right? By 1968, it meant really hip. In 1988, it meant uh, something that was neat or exciting. So today, cool is, if something's like, what, something really neat, you go, ooh, ooh, that's cool. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's hip, and it doesn't mean that it's cold. It means that it's, hey, it's cool, all right? So you can take the same word, and just over a few different decades, it's got a different meaning. So I'm just saying, it's good sometimes to Look at the different translations to try and get to a closer meaning. But some of these things, at the end of the day, are, they're just hard to understand in English what they wrote in Greek and what they meant at the time of the day. Because people talk about contradictions in the Bible. Usually they talk about little piddly things that don't matter. This would be one of the, a major contradiction. Do not judge. And then in a minute, he's going to yell, well, how come you're not judging? I judge. Well, did you say you don't judge? 
And there's people say, well, you know, we should never judge anybody. And Paul said, just wait till the Lord comes and he'll straighten it all out, which I think people use as a cop-out to never confront people about their bad behavior. But they'll quote that verse. But it can't possibly mean just that because over here, he's getting on the church for being a bunch of wusses and not getting involved in people's lives and helping them make decisions and making calls. And he yells at them for not judging. Anyway, all right. Like I said, headache. Where am I? Uh, verse six. Now, brothers and sisters, I have, I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us uh, over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? Not and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't? It's kind of interesting. He says, everything you have in terms of spiritual knowledge, you got from somebody. So why do you act like you came up with it on your own? You know? So don't be so arrogant. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign. And that without it. Now he goes into, I believe, a, a section here of sarcasm. And we're going to read through here. See, he kind of gets real sarcastic, but then he kicks into truth, and then he ends up with a threat. <laughs> this is interesting. So here we go. You have all you need. You become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. Well, are they really reigning? He's trying to make a point. He says, how I wish that you already had begun to reign so that we might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We're fools for Christ, but you're so wise. We're weak. Oh, you're so strong. You're honored. We're dishonored. He's being a smart aleck, all right? He's kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah being sarcastic to these people because they're acting so arrogant against the very man who brought them the truth in the first place. All right? To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. I was being real. <laughs> we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. All right? Then he says this. I'm not writing this to shame you. Really? Sounds like he just shamed him to me. <laughs> like watching a fly dance around here. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many, many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. It's a great argument. That's why we treat fathers with different respect than everybody else. You know, unless your dad was a complete loser, and some are. But generally, in a healthy family, you treat your father with greater respect than, all, you know, may get, get advice from other men, and, you know, you might have a dozen teachers, you might have guys and coaches and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you've only got one father. And in that context, you need to treat him with special respect. So that's really what he's getting back here, right? trying to get him to quit all fighting and stuff, and then treating him so disrespectfully. He said, look, you, you got lots of teachers, but you only got one father. Why are you dissing me? Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become so arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Now, I understand. This is Paul the Apostle. This isn't Joel Osteen, all right? This isn't Beth Moore, who are all wonderful people. I'm sure, I don't know, I never listened to them. But uh, uh, this is the Paul, Paul the Apostle. When he would pray, stuff happened. He had great power. You remember in the early church, there was some like serious stuff going on. Ananias and Sapphira tried to act like a hypocrite and lie in front of everybody. The Bible says they both dropped over dead. Whoa, you know. Somebody else was opposing Paul. He rebuked him. The guy goes blind. Whoa, holy cow. So he's kind of threatening here where he says, when I show up, some of you guys are being so arrogant. Well, I'll see what's going on and we'll see how much power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 
What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? So this is known as a threat, all right? Quit jerking me around because when I show up, you really want to challenge me on this stuff? Uh, but you don't, so, you know. Some of Paul's writings, I, you know, I, I don't understand his thinking and I'll tell you, you know, I'm just glad he's not here to zap me. But, but uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to understand. I don't understand what he's talking about. All right, now, after all of that, now he switches to specific problems in the church. And he starts dealing with these problems. One, it's stunning and shocking the kind of problems that they're having. Uh, it, it really is. Again, it's encouraging to anybody who's ever done church work and never been <laughs> frustrated because these guys are having some serious issues. Uh, he, he approaches it, he attacks it. Um, some of the arguments he makes are crystal clear and really easy to understand. Other arguments that he makes, honestly, we'll get through it together. But it's like, they're kind of bizarre. I don't understand. We'll read it and then you'll see when I get to it. It's like, really? I don't understand. And then we get ourselves in trouble because there's, we're coming to a part here where Paul's very strict on sexual immorality. And there's people today who say, they don't want to believe that. Well, the brother says in 1 Corinthians, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of them come back and say, well, yeah, also it says in 1 Corinthians that a woman should never cut her hair. Well, we don't really follow that anymore, which we'll get to it. Paul made it a big deal. I don't know why. It makes no sense to me. I have read it, and I have reread it, and I've looked at the theologians, and I don't understand. Who cares how long your hair is? All right? The problem is, then because we don't follow that, then people say, well, you've been hypocritic because you're still following. You see what I'm saying? So 1 Corinthians really, it's got some great stuff in it, but then it's got stuff in it that, again, just gives me a headache. But here we go. Now he's going to deal with some of the other problems. Specifically, uh, if, if you're looking, if, and most Bibles have, dealing with a case of incest. All right, I don't know if it's incest. A lot of them they think it is, but they use different words. It says, it is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and the kind that even the pagans don't tolerate, even the heathens don't tolerate, even the people who don't believe in Jesus would never tolerate what you guys are tolerating. And what is this? A man is sleeping with his father's wife, which is gross enough. Many theologians believe he's even talking about his own mother, which makes me want to puke. But that's what he's talking about. And you are proud, he says. Shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? You should have kicked him out of the church. This guy's doing it. You guys all know he's doing it. And nobody says anything. Well, Paul said here we're not supposed to judge. Well, he's about to yell at him for not judging. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present in this way, I have already passed. <laughs> Wait a minute, man. You just said you don't judge. I presume it's a different Greek word, but I don't know. It's got to be a translation thing, huh? No. He's not judging their fruit. The guy, at the minimum, is boinking his stepmother. There's not a fruit there. So a fruit cake in his head. All right, so I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the guy who's been doing this. So when you are assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, you hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now here's a prayer meeting you hope you're never the middle of or the subject of. When Christians literally get together and they're praying for Fred and they're saying, God, we in the name of Jesus turn Fred over to Satan so Satan can knock the crap out of him. Again, you don't want your name on that prayer list. And this is literally what he did. Something that most churches, they would never do. Because most churches just lob onto this first part, well, well, let's not judge and let Jesus fix it all in the end. That's why there's all kinds of horrible behavior that happens in churches. Nobody ever confronts it. And Paul's yelling at what do you mean you don't confront? There's so, I understand. There is a type of judging we're not supposed to, just not, not supposed to make assumptions and all this other kinds of, when you don't know the facts. But there's blatant stuff. Guy's cheating on his wife. This happens a lot in big churches. Don't have much in ours, now that I'm aware of, but we find out about it, we'll have a come to Jesus meeting. Or some dude over here is having sex with some other guy's wife over there, and everybody knows about it. They don't do anything of it. I know one big church where they knew it was going on, and they refused to say anything. 
and the person was like on their board. One of the elders in the church and someone said, you need to remove them. Said, Why would we do that? We're not supposed to judge. See, there's this extreme, and they can even put a couple of verses that say that, but it's an extreme interpretation. That's not the kind of judging, because you're supposed to confront evil, particularly in our own midst. So anyway, he says, man, you need to turn this guy over to the devil and get the snot kicked out of him so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. This isn't to hate him. This isn't to destroy him. It's that he can get a fill of what it's like on the dark side so that he will get to a place where he will cry out to God in repentance. All right? Your boasting is not good. You, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Now, he's talking about in, in a Judaism, they had what was called unleavened bread. If you take bread and you don't put any yeast in it, it's just a flat, you know, kind of tortilla kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Taco Bell. All right, so anyway, uh, but, but, it, but it still was a little fatter, wasn't it? It wasn't real thin. It's still pretty thin, yeah, okay. So, but you put yeast in it and you have bunny bread. For those of you, <laughs> do we have even bunny bread anymore? <laughs> what do you have now? It's a common bread. Wonder bread or IGA bread or whatever the heck. Then you put in normal bread, that's like, it's all fat, and that's how most of us like our toast and not the flattened deal. So there was this analogy, and this is throughout the Bible, and Jesus used this several times about you got to be careful about the yeast, talking about sin, because if you let a little bit in, it affects everything, okay? It's one thing to say, well, it's just over here, and it's just this little, and the guy's doing that. No, that's no big deal. But the problem is, it starts affecting other stuff. Just like it, it doesn't take a lot of yeast, a little bit of yeast, and whoop, that bread will pop up. Okay, so he's warning them. You know that it just takes a little yeast. Uh, get rid of the old yeast, talking about sin, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. All Jewish uh, words about, analogies about the unleavened bread. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then he says this, I write, wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, usually, and I brought this up many times, there's, there's verses where I say, I, I don't know what they're talking about. And I don't know that anybody really else knows what they're talking about. And, but they always come up with these, everybody always offers a theory about what it might mean and stuff like that. And I think it's because these guys can't admit that, that nobody knows. I've said this many times. What's interesting about this one is finally I found all the theologians going, I don't know what he's talking about. So <laughs> it's the first time I've run across it. They don't know. What letter is he talking about? Nobody knows. And they call it the missing letter. All right? If it's the missing letter, I'm sure it's missing on purpose. Maybe he said things he wished he hadn't of. Uh, personally, I think the letter he's talking about, and I didn't find any theologian who said this, is that first letter he wrote to the Thessalonians. Because there's a whole section in there where he talks about sexual immorality and to avoid it and stuff like that. He never says the words don't associate with these people, so people don't think it was. But remember, at the end of Thessalonians that we just finished, he says, read this letter to all the churches. Well, Thessalonians right here. Corinth is here. There's just a few churches here. My guess is that was the letter they were reading, and the implication was to avoid sexual immorality would mean not hanging with people who are sexually immoral, though, because he never says it. They don't say it's that letter. I think that's it. I don't think there's this missing letter like the lost ark, Indiana Jones. There's no Indiana Jones coming out. Did you read this? Yeah, talk about getting off the track. All right, so <laughs> Harrison Ford's going to be in it again. What is it, like 108? <laughs> Discovering things in a wheelchair. I don't know what he's going to do. But uh, again, I'm off track. Getting back to what I'm talking about here. All right, so I wrote you in this letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Nobody knows where that comes from. I think it's heavily implied in Thessalonians. It doesn't matter. But he says, you're not supposed to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, you stop and think about that, that pretty much will knock out everybody you know, especially that are non-Christians, because at some level, we live in a very sexually immoral culture. So Paul says, don't associate with anybody sexually immoral, but you've got to keep reading, but not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. If that was the case, you'd have to leave the world, all right? So he's not saying don't associate with people who are not Christians, who are scumbags and slimebags, which 
a great many of them are. We need to connect with these people. We need to be loving these people, be kind to these people. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, talking about a Christian, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. His point is, don't hang with Christians who live in blatantly non-Christian ways. Do not even eat with such people. Don't even have lunch with them. Well, that's not love. Well, apparently it is because the Bible's full of love. Sometimes there's a thing called tough love. And sometimes you have to confront people. Now, having said that, you got to put things in context. There are people, probably not even here tonight, but on Sunday morning they come, they're new to the church, and they're doing God only knows what. Okay, and they're into stuff up to their eyeballs, and a lot of them just will admit it to you right up front. Well, we don't say, get away from me. I can't touch you, you evil person. You know, they're new in their faith. They got to get to a place where they, they kind of get it, and you're moving them along and stuff. Uh, where I would really take this seriously is if you've got some brother who's a very strong brother in the, ch- in the church and, and uh, you know, uh, established and acting sexually immoral, you basically... You know what the Amish call shunning. You shun the person. You just you turn your back. You don't have anything to do with them. Sometimes people act so badly, you shun them. We've done this from time to time. Usually we'll write them a letter or something or talk to them and say, listen, don't come back here anymore. Please just don't come back here anymore. Uh, of course, then they leave, go to another church and tell everybody how hateful we are. But, but then pretty soon they're creating a disaster in that church. But the Bible says, you know, well, that's not love. That is love. The Bible's never full of hate. It, at some point, you have to deal with this very strongly. You know, if, uh, you know, <laughs> who do we know we're in point? <laughs> Jeff Bricker. <laughs> I don't know if he's over there at the Bible study. If Jack, Jeff is going around committing adultery, we're going to have issues with Jeff. All right? We're going to get in his face. If Randy is running around, you know, doing stuff he should, I'm going to get in his face. And if he doesn't turn away from it at some point, dude, don't come back here anymore. And I won't even spend time, you know, see him, might be polite and say hello, but I'm, not, I'm going to shun him at some point, which hopefully brings a person like that to repentance because he misses the fellowship of the church. See, this is really, and, and by the way, this actually gets this guy to repent. We'll see it in the next letter. He is so devastated because he's part of this loving community, and you have to understand, this is paganism 2,000 years ago. They don't have anything like Christianity. To be in a culture where you are loved and respected and supported and you're there for each other, we're trying to grow into that kind of church. These guys are already there despite their crazy psychoness. In terms of community, they really are there. And, and especially because, I mean, to be a Christian cost you a lot back then. And eventually their lives, their very lives are threatened and they're persecuted and all this kind of, kind of stuff. These were very close to that knit people. So when they get rejected from the fellowship, that created a major void in them. Uh, the problem in America, and really almost anywhere today, is there's not, there's, the church is so fractured that if you kick somebody out from one church, they just go to another one, and they don't repent. And they just go to another one, and they don't repent. Actually, years ago, uh, churches were much more uh, careful about that. If you suddenly just showed up, they would check with the previous pastor. Why are they here? Are you guys okay with them coming? You know what I'm saying? But nobody does that anymore. As soon as somebody comes new, everybody's happy to see you, including myself. Everybody walks through the door, hi! I don't know you. Eventually we'll find out who you are, and then if problems arise, we will encourage you to move on. God bless you. You know, uh, hopefully that you don't live in destructive ways that are hurting people. So, I think that the, the, uh, the standard is different based on who you are, uh, and we wouldn't use a real harsh measure on this, people who are new in their faith and growing in their faith. Because the truth is, there are a considerable amount of people who come to church, particularly on Sunday morning, who are living, without question, sexually immoral lives. There's no question about it. And they'll even tell you that they do it. And we challenge them, right? You know, and, 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 and we don't scream at them and send them to hell and I'm not going to touch you or anything like that. Uh, you know, but we're trying to encourage them. And hopefully at some point they continue to grow in their faith. But if they keep growing and they get more invested in the church and they start getting the respect of people, they keep living that way at some point, you got to confront it. That's what Paul said. Okay. Uh, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not supposed to judge those inside the church? I don't know, you just said don't judge. (sighs) 
God will judge the outside. Expel the wicked person from among you, which is what they quoted in the Old Testament when somebody's acting very badly. Again, remember what he says here. I care very little if I'm judged by you. I don't even judge myself. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time wait for the Lord to come. And just a little bit further. What's the matter with you people? Why aren't you judging? You're supposed to make these judgments. The only thing I can figure is something's getting lost in translation here. All right? Then he goes on uh, talking about another problem. And the problem here is that Christians are fighting with each other and they're suing each other. Again, and it gets worse. I mean, these people really have some serious issues here. Uh, So he says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? So if Rebecca feels that Randy ripped her off, she shouldn't have to file suit and go to some pagan court and have them settle their case for them. They should, from a biblical standard, be able to come to the elders of the church. Say, hey, he ripped me off. And well, I didn't rip you off, and we gotta listen to it, and then we make a call, and you should listen to what we say. People do do that here, but they usually don't wind up listening to what we say anyway. <laughs> the person who gets ripped off will still take them to court, and it's, it's just sad. Paul just thought this was a really awful thing to do. You shouldn't be doing this. Now, they weren't doing this because they believed that you should not judge. <laughs> Again, now he's going to a whole another section here, and you're supposed to be judging. Someone has a problem, you bring it before the church and let them judge it. He says, so if any of you has a dispute with the matter, you dare take it to the ungodly for judgment instead of the Lord's people, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? I'm telling you, the guy is yelling at them for not judging. I know, it makes your head spin. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Here's what's really interesting about this. We all think that when we die, pie in the sky after we die, that yeah, all this stuff kicks in. Well, he had an immediate connection. He, he even wrote to the Ephesians at some point, don't you know we're, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus right now. We don't have to die to realize what has happened to us. We are in a new realm and the spirit of God is in us, and we have the wisdom of God. And he said, we're going to judge the angels someday. We think, well, yeah, well, after we die. He says, no, 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 we're going to judge the angels someday. You should be able to make judgment calls now. How are you going to judge the angels someday if you can't even decide anything here? And he's yelling him about this, uh, which is something I have railed upon on the past. Uh, we don't have a lot of it in this church because I rail on it so frequently. But is this idea of people, you come to people, and no matter what you're going through, their only response is to you, well, just pray about it. I want to kill my neighbor, what do you think I should do? Well, I think you should pray about it. <laughs> no, this is the common Christian line. And people think you're being spiritual. Why are you even sucking the air out of the room? There's only so much room in here, quit breathing. I don't understand what these people are doing. They have no, no thought process. There's people who literally say, well, nobody would kill him. No, but there's people all the time. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about committing adultery or I, I really fell in love with this guy. He pays attention. My husband doesn't pay attention. What do you think I should do? You know how many Christians in America would say, pray about it? Are you kidding me? I had a guy, you know, he doesn't come here anymore because I rebuked him and I think he went back and he got right. Praise God. But he moved here from where? Goofball State. Not lovely Wisconsin. And... He comes to me and he's just racked with guilt. Oh, brother, I just, can you pray for me? I feel so guilty. And remember I told you, don't just pray for people. Ask questions. Why are you feeling guilty? Well, keep asking questions. Why? Well, turns out he moves to Wisconsin to move in with some other lady who's married and he's having sex with this lady. So apparently there's not enough adultery in Texas. He's got to come to Wisconsin <laughs> to adulterate. And, and here's the problem. A lot of Christians will just assume, oh, I'm really feeling guilty. They say, oh, let's pray to God. Lord, we just rebuke the spirit of condemnation, and there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. They quote all the verses and stuff like that. Your prayers are going like this. He falling on the ground. <laughs> because God knows what's going on. He's got to listen to you. God's thinking, hey, don't be a dummy. Ask questions. Find out what's going on in people's lives. So I find out the whole story, why he's feeling so guilty. I say, you know, you're supposed to feel guilty. I'm not going to pray for you not to feel guilty. What I will tell you, stop. Where are you from? I'm from Texas. 
Are you, are, you, are you a Christian? Yeah. You've been a Christian? You're a Christian? Oh, yeah. I went to a great church in Texas. Really? So you told your friends that you're connected in that great church that you're coming over to boink somebody else's wife. Yeah, I, I told them what I was doing. That's what they say to you. He said, well, they told me to. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, this is standard response in almost all of Christianity. It's like a plague in American Christianity. The church, Christians are shirking their responsibility. They don't want to get in anybody's face. They don't want to confront. Look, I know you can be mean and nasty. I'm not saying being nasty, but I'm saying in love, you've got to talk to people. Find out what the heck's going on. Somebody's going to, you know, I, I keep going to Walmart. I keep stealing stuff. What should I do? I don't know. I'd really, I'd really pray about that. <laughs> really? Now, I've railed on this enough. I never hear that here. Thank God, because I will yell at you if I hear you're doing this. Don't tell people just to pray about it. Talk to them. Get some wisdom. You're supposed to be able to make calls. You should be able to pray intelligently. I prayed for him, but it wasn't, Lord, take away his guilt. So you need to repent, man. You need to go home. Stop this nonsense. Haven't seen him since. Praise God. He was a nice guy, but I think he went back to Texas. Quit adulterating with this lady who, when she found out, was mad at me. You think? Because she's getting a little action on the side while she's mad. Now she's mad at me because you don't even believe it. I can do it. She doesn't come to church here anymore. Good. People. Uh, all right. So he says, therefore, you have disputes about such matters. Do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Say before he says, I'm not trying to shame you. Now he's, I'm intentionally shaming you. He's like, it's like whiplash reading this guy. I'm telling you. Again, he's not here to turn me into a frog, so I guess, I, I don't know. I just, if I see him in heaven, I'm taking another road, man. <laughs> Who is that? I don't know. I don't know who that was. I just, I'm moving over here, man. I hope it's a big place because I'm, I'm going to avoid him. So if he's hearing this, he's going to have a word or two with me. Anyway, okay, now, now he's, he's making them feel bad intentionally. <laughs> Which, of course, then you got all the Christians to say, you should never feel guilt and shame. Really, Paul says, I'm shaming you. I'm shaming you. Now, there's guilt and shame that sucks a lot. Condemnation has no place in the life of a Christian. Condemnation says is you are guilty, you are hopeless, there's no chance for you. That is never our state. We should never feel condemned. But if you do something guilty, I think you should feel guilty. If you move in from Texas and doing the hoochie pochi with some other lady, I think you should feel bad. All these Christians going out of their way, oh, no one should ever feel bad. You know who never feels bad? A psychopath. Look up the definition of a psychopath. These are people who never feel guilt or shame. They never feel bad about anything. They can take a cat, pop it in the microwave, and laugh. Just horrible things. That's why they eventually start killing people. And all kinds of stuff. They do it, and nothing affects them. I don't think Jesus has called us to go to all the world to make psychopaths out of people. I think if you do something bad, the natural thing is you should feel bad. Pastor, you ever feel bad? Yes, on occasion. <laughs> because I'll do something stupid that I shouldn't have done or said something I shouldn't have said or, you know, hard for you to imagine. <laughs> but then it causes me to repent. The Bible says godly sorrow brings us to repentance. Man, the Holy Spirit starts beating a snot out of me and I'm feeling bad. Oh, man, I go to prayer and I get right with God. All right. I say this to shame you. Is it possible there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dis dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be long? Wrong. Rebecca, why don't you just let him rip you off? <laughs> she doesn't want to get ripped off. <laughs> but that's what the Bible's saying. At some point, why not just rather be wronged? Well, they don't want to get wronged. Nobody wants to get wronged. And the more money involved in it, the less they want to get wronged. Somebody owes you five bucks. Okay. Or some of you, you'd go crazy over that. Some of you owe a hundred bucks. Ooh, you get a little more intense. Some of you owe you five hundred bucks. Boo, couple of thousand. One point two million in a business deal. Whoa, the people start going psycho crazy then. Why not rather be cheated? Because people don't want to get cheated. 
Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. You do this to your brothers and sisters. These are people that are part of your community. And yet you're going at each other's throat. But here's the thing. Christians at times wrong each other. They do. You know? I know people who say, I'll never do business with a Christian. Ever hear anybody say that? I'll never do business with a Christian. Really? You nimrod. You know? How about you love people? Well, what if they rip me off? Well, then you got ripped off. I mean, seriously. You know, it's like people who, you know, I, I don't know, Pastor, I want to get married, but I, I don't ever want to date because they might get hurt. <laughs> well, then you'll probably stay single. <laughs> but I don't want to stay single. Then you have to date. What if I get hurt? Then you get hurt. So what? Move on. Everybody wants to live this protective little bubble. Nothing ever bad happens to them. You got to take some risks, people, or you're going to just be miserable. Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes into his classic list of wrongdoers. Here we go. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or immoral. These are people who are doing sexual things with people they are not married to. They're sexually immoral. They have no business. God is not against sex. You can get married, have sex with your eyes pop out. He doesn't care about that. But you're not supposed to be doing the hochi-kochi with other people that you're not married to. Amen. amen. Thank you. One amen. <laughs> or idolaters. We don't have a lot of problem with that today, but there are people. Or adulterers. Oh, that'll make me mad. Actually, adulterers is one of the few things that people still get mad about. At least there's something left. And who knows before that won't even matter anymore. Even people say, well, I think it doesn't matter what people do in the privacy of their home. Ask them, are you married? Yeah. Is it okay if your wife has sex with somebody else? Well, no! You know, <laughs> apparently they do have some morality. It's just very, you know, it doesn't want to affect me, you know. So adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. All right. Now, say, oh, the Bible's full of hate towards homosexuals. No, no, no. He said sexually immoral, adulterers, idolaters. Let's keep going. Thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, and people who have sex with the same sex will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is a hot button issue today. Are you kidding me? People go crazy and they go, You're full of. Now, it's not about hate. And look, people can do anything they want, and you can still love these people. Remember, he says, We're talking about people in the church. You don't hate people that are outside the church who do all of these things. And out there, you get out there, people are doing all this stuff all the time. And Christians are so inconsistent because they have no problem being friends with a, someone who has sex in the backseat of a car with a girlfriend. They don't have a problem with a guy who's a greedy guy or cheats people or, you know, maybe cheats on his wife one but if you're gay, oh my God, they go crazy. Well, don't do that for heaven's sakes. Well, the Bible, says, well, the Bible puts all these people in this list. I just, it just irritates me. Christians who use the name of Christ and then make us all look like a bunch of psychos because they won't make them, make them a cake. Really bake them a stupid cake. Now, I don't think the government should be able to force you, but don't be an idiot. Good Lord. <laughs> Listen, if you're in business, who's in business? You, you do hair? You still do hair? I don't, I don't have much hair, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, you, you sell stuff and you're worried if you only did business with people who were not on this list, you're not going to make any money. <laughs> Seriously, right? People who are immoral, who look at porn, who do this, who lie, who cheat, who cheat on their wives. You're pretty much going to be selling to, you know, me and Bob, Randy, a couple other people. You're just not going to make much money. You know, and I'm assuming Bob's not doing any of these things. I'm pretty sure he does, but I'm just sitting you know, so don't be crazy. Don't go off on people. For heaven's sakes, I'm so ashamed when you hear these Christians go psycho crazy on gay people as if that's a own, its own separate category. It is not its own separate category. It's all in the list. It's called immorality. You say, well, God, doesn't God love it? God loves everybody. He loves adulterers. He loves fornicators. He loves all these things. But at some point, you've got to stop. You can't just keep doing it. Well, we love each other. Human love never is greater than God's standard. And by the way, people who think that Christians are barbarians for having this list, do you know it's virtually the same list? It's the exact same list of virtually every other religion in the world. Muslims 
cannot do any of this. Buddhists are not supposed to do any of this. Jews are not supposed to do any of this. You've got to really get to very small religious groups that anybody, even some of the most far out ones still, most of them. This is not some bizarre Christian. This is like anybody who's ever tried to reach out to God since the beginning of humanity has known there's lines we should not cross. And it's not based in hatred, although some do hate. And it's like the examples I just said. Don't be part of that group. We have no business hating people. I, honestly, I have friends that are, fit every one of these. Check the box. I, I, I associate with people who are immoral. I associate with people who are adulterers. I associate with people who have sex with men, men who have sex with men, gay people. You talking, yeah. I actually, we got some great gay people in Africa. When I, when I land, they pick me up at the airport. Take me to dinner. How many of you asked me to dinner, you rats? All right, so. <laughs> do you go, yeah, sure, why not? You go to their house, yeah, we go right into their house and they're having nice times and they're talking, chance, right now. Do they know what we think, yeah? My hope is at some point I can win them to Jesus. All right? Now, if this is the elder in the church, the rules change. Always keep that in context. When it talks about throwing out or confronting people, are talking about people in the church who know better, who do these things anyway. It is what it is. All right. Uh, so he talks about this list, and then in verse 11 he says that that's what some of you were. They all related to this list. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. So well, someone says, well, I have the right to do anything. Well, yeah, but not everything is beneficial. Well, I have the right to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. I'm not going to put my situation where other things are controlling me. You say, well, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. God's going to destroy them both. What he's saying is everything is temporal. What does it matter that we do? And he says it does matter. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and will raise us also. Your physical body that will turn to dust at some point will be brought back. Okay? We will all be raised someday. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Which was a the problem they were having. These guys were going to play. They're having sex with prostitutes and coming to church and praising the Lord. Seriously. I mean, you know, I'm yelling at you. You have no idea how screwed up these people were. Should you do that? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute becomes one with her in the body? In her body? For, for it is says the two will become one flesh. Says, Don't you know this? The answer would be someone would go, no, I guess I didn't know that. <laughs> they didn't know. Whoever's united with the Lord is him in the spirit. You're not supposed to be hooking up with hoes. Is what he's saying. And he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But when you sin sexually, you sin against your very own body. He's a pastor. I struggle with this stuff. And what he's trying to do, you would think he'd be yelling and screaming at these guys. He's not. He's really rather calm. He was yelling at him just for not judging disputes and suing each other. For me, I can tolerate that much. You going out of process, I'm going to be yelling at you at the top of my voice up here. When he gets to them, he's not talking shame anymore. He's not yelling at them. He's just like, guys, don't you understand what you're doing? Your body belongs to God. If you really understand that this is part of Christ now, there is a miracle that happens when you come to Jesus. And through baptism and faith and all these things, this body belongs to him. This body, someday he will call and you will be raised to life again on that great glorious day when all of this nonsense is over. Protect this body. He's saying, don't connect it. In, in sexually immoral ways. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit, temples of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, now, people often quote this and say, you know, you're not supposed to eat too much sugar because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not supposed to eat too much gluten or <laughs> whatever. Or you're supposed to eat fried squirrel brains or whatever you health people are into. I don't know. Whatever. Twigs and berries. You got to do all this stuff because, you know, that's what you got to do because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I, I get that. And I suppose you could make the connection, although it's tentative at best. When he says your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, don't have sex with people you're not supposed to be having sex with. 
That's what the Bible's talking about when he says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and let me end with this, because now we're going to get into chapter 7. This one, this one gives me a headache. I think I'll have a headache when I'm done going through it with you. I had a headache today going through it again. I've gone through this so many times. Chapter 7, I was like, I, can get it. I don't understand it. I'm going to avoid Paul in heaven, but we'll get there. All right? Now, assuming I get there, <laughs> Paul's saying, yeah, you think you're going to be up here? What are you talking about? But, uh, but, uh, but, but saying all this stuff, a lot of people struggle in this area. A lot of people. A lot of Christians struggle sexually immoral, and they make mistakes and they fall. I want you to know something. We do not hate people who struggle in this area. You make a mistake in this area, we do not. You have no idea the stories I have heard. There are stories I could tell you that would make your eyes pop out and just suck the air out of your lungs. People who attend this church who come to me struggling and tell me stuff that they're doing. Stuff that, as Paul said, even the pagans wouldn't allow. And first of all, I'm thinking, you come to our church? <laughs> I mean, seriously, you have no idea what I'm thinking. But I don't yell at them. So I, I try to reach out to them and help them. They're crying and they're trying to make it right. Well, let's make it right. You don't hate people who make mistakes. And, uh, and you need to be careful with that. And I, I tell you, if there's one area I fear more than anything, it's that one. I've said this to you many times. It, it just is. There are preachers who are a lot smarter than me, who are a lot more educated than me, who are more well-connected with me, a few that are prettier than me, you know. But the, I mean, so we're talking some serious world-class preachers and stuff who had followings in the had churches in the tens of thousands who've all fallen into sexual sin. They pay a very high price. They lose everything. And I'm under no illusion that if that ever happens to me, I know I would lose everything and most people would hate me. I would hope not everybody would hate me. I hope I never do it. But it puts the fear of God in me. If they can do it, what makes me think I wouldn't do it? That's why you pray, don't fall into temptation. Keep me from temptation. Lord, help me. Pray for your pastor. You can, what do you think the one thing the devil would like to see me do? Get mad? Yell at someone's dog? No, this do this. And it, it just puts the fear of God in me. And I, I, I just want to know that anybody I've ever met along these lines, I have never tried to condemn them. I've never tried to be mean with them. Uh, and hopefully that humility towards others who struggle in this area has been God's grace in my life that I haven't done this. The good news at some point, I'll be so old, nobody will want me. That's, I'm almost there, man. I'm almost there. <laughs> that's, that's the good news. And somebody they look at you and go, Ugh, you know, they move on. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's always a real and present danger. And, uh, and try to be aware, and hopefully just being kind enough to people and not judge and don't hate anybody. Well, Paul says, I know, but even this list where he says, don't do this stuff, we're not supposed to turn on and hate those. Even Christians who do it. The problem when he says reject them is people that you confront and they keep doing and they don't care what you say or what anybody else says. Those are the people. Not people who struggle in the church, not new people who are coming in. Even, God forbid, some established brother in the church does this. You know, we're not going to hate him and kill him over it. We're going to talk to him and hopefully he repents and he makes it right and he makes his apologies and, and, uh, and we're not going to crucify him. You know, a lot of people do this publicly. I know I'm past my time, three minutes, but get over it. Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't hate people. When Paul talks about confronting these kinds of people and not tolerating it, he's talking about people who, number one, they know better, they've been confronted, and Jesus gave us the analogy. You go to them once, you go to them twice, you go to them with the, with the church elders, and if they don't repent, strike three, you're out. And the Bible says you treat them like an unbeliever. And that's when you turn back, and that's when you shun them and stuff. Thankfully, it's only happened a very few times in my life, but it does happen. On occasion, it happens. Someone who just acts so badly, you just, man, you, you got to bring the discipline on the church on them. And, uh, and we talk about these. We wrestle with these things in our presbytery meetings. I mean, we talk these things, people's struggles, people are doing bad things, we're trying to reason with them, they don't listen to us. You know, at some point, you start having some discipline. At some point, it gets to the point where you just, you ask them not to come back anymore. That's very, very, very rare. Uh, but it does happen. But it, in the general sense, even if you hear someone that you think 
definitely should know better, and they fall. We don't kill. We don't shoot our wounded. You know, in real battles, if you get shot, you get a medal. In Christianity, you slip and fall. We take you up against the wall, and we shoot you some more. That ought not to be. The Bible says that if you find a brother who sinned, you should restore them gently, lest you yourself should be caught up in such and like this. So always show compassion with people. When we got these lines about what's really right and wrong, and some of them are very clear, it's not so you can be mean or harsh or unforgiving to anybody. Uh, we receive everybody. We try to restore everybody. We try to have compassion towards everybody. I have been on the phone with pastors in, in our own local community who've gone down this hole, and I've called them. And some of them will tell you, you know, you're the only guy who ever called me. Everybody wouldn't have anything to do with me. And I just think that's terrible. And say, man, how you doing? You know, what can we do for you? Is there anything we can help to, you know, and love people through their struggles. Anyway, I hope that all makes sense. Then next, not next one, because next Monday is the end of Lent. Now we're coming to, and we're having a big baptismal service, a big spring baptismal, so I want you to come for that. But then the following ones, we'll pick it up again, uh, and uh, we'll continue this. We'll get, get into chapter seven. <laughs> and, uh, and there's some others that are almost as bad. I'm done. I've gone five minutes and 52 seconds over. My apologies. You are gone. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>